Our gracious Heavenly Father, O oh Lord, the words of the song that we just sang together are such joyful and invigorating and um, just spirit-inflamed words. Because when we open up the Bible, we are opening up the Word of the living God. Your Word. You speak through Your Word. And we want to hear from You even in these next few moments, Lord. And we want not only to hear, but also be doers who meditate and reflect upon these truths so that we would walk away by Your grace and by Your Spirit, changed people, committed to being more holy, more set apart for the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be eager and attentive listeners, and that we would also be doers of Your Word and not merely hearers who are self-deceived. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We'll open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We are in the middle of a series titled Faithful Christian Parenting. Faithful Christian Parenting. And we will also be looking at the parallel passage again of Ephesians chapter 6, um, where parents and children are instructed as well. And we were reminded, if you remember, three or four weeks ago that we are, as a church, our mission is to make disciples. Following after the Great Commission, Matthew 28, Colossians 1, 28-29, Luke 24, Acts chapter 1, we are a church that is committed to making disciples, and that is really just following in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ, who began that mission, and we continue in that mission, and we want to see people come to know Jesus Christ and become more and more like Jesus Christ. We ought to be people who say, follow me as I follow Christ. That's what a disciple maker is able to say. And the question may arise in our minds, well, how does me being a disciple making disciple connect to my family and to the home, to me being a father and a, or a wife, a husband, a wife, a mother? How does it connect to that? And the answer is this. Disciple-making begins in the home and flows out from the home. Very simply stated. Our disciple-making begins in the home and flows out from the home. We are called as believers to be doing both and, not either or. But the priority begins in those who are in your home, especially if you are a parent, that you ought to be discipling those who are within your home. And then ministry flows from your home onto the church as you minister in the church together. Now, how do we do this? How do we pursue disciple making in the home? How do we flesh out our God-given responsibility as the primary disciple makers of our children, for instance? And we began looking at the first of the two crucial commands in Colossians 3, verses 20 and 21. If you look there in verse 20, he says, Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord or in the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Next week, we're going to look at that second command in verse 21 in the parallel passage of Ephesians 6. But we begin looking at the first command there of verse 20. To children, to be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And I told you that I wanted to highlight four aspects within that command for our understanding and, and, and to challenge us. The first one was the importance of obedience. 
And we saw that as lawgiver, God requires children to obey. This is a present uh, imperative. Children are to continually, are continually commanded to obey their parents, to arrange themselves under the authority of their parents. Also, as a loving and good God, God promises to bless children who obey their parents from the heart, as we will see later on. And then as judge, as just judge, children need to remember that God punishes disobedience, both in the present and for those who are not in Christ, eternally. So obedience is very, very important to the Lord, and it should be important to us as family units and as a church. Whether you are a single person or married, older or younger saint, we need to be emphasizing the strength of the family infrastructure and supporting that parents teach their children obedience from the heart. Secondly, the motivation for obedience. We saw that, not only the importance of obedience, but the motivation for obedience, which is the glory of God. And we saw that in every instruction, in Colossians 3 and the parallel passage of Ephesians 5 and 6, the instructions to those within the Christian household are given with the ultimate motivation that all of it is as unto the Lord for the glory of God. You know, we do all kinds of things for different motivations, But the singular greatest passion of all of our hearts and lives, no matter what we do as believers, should be the glory of God. And that goes the same for children. Children should obey their parents ultimately because of the Lord. Because this brings glory to God. And then we began looking at the agents of obedience. The agents of obedience. That on the one hand, children are responsible to obey. And even the command is directly given in Colossians 3.22, children, at that time the letter would have been, been read to all of the, the audience and children would have been sitting there, as I read earlier, listening to the command from the Lord via the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, listening to this command to obey your parents. But parents, beginning with fathers, are responsible, beloved, to enforce obedience. Not only are children responsible to obey, but parents are the agents of God, so to speak, to enforce obedience in the home. And the question is, what does this involve? And we saw in the parallel passage of Ephesians 6.4, if you look there, that Paul said, Fathers, do not exasperate your children to anger, but here it is, bring them up. But bring them up. That's a command to parents. That parents are to be patterned, committed to consistently training, nourishing their children, bringing them up to maturity is the idea there of bringing up. Bringing them up to maturity, it's a term of development, developing our children to maturity. That is our responsibility, beloved parents. And that is what others of us who are not parents should be coming alongside of parents to help them do. To help them bring up their children to maturity and to develop and grow. And he says, bring them up in what? In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Two words there, discipline. The word paideia, which refers, we saw, to both verbal and physical correction. Yes, as we saw last week, contrary to our culture, spanking is necessary. 
Especially when children are young, they need correction, both verbal instruction and physical correction. And and it's an issue of obedience, parents. If you are under the Lord, that you follow through with this. If you love your child, you will discipline your child diligently. Amen? Of course, as they get older, we don't spank them anymore, right? Every child is different. But there are other forms of discipline or correction that is, that is implemented. But correction and the, and the delivering of consequences should always be a part of, of every family in some way, shape, or form. And it is an act of our love to our children, beloved. Remember Hebrews chapter 12. Our heavenly Father disciplines us for our good because He loves us, because He wants us to experience blessing and to be fruitful. So it is that the parent is bringing consequences and correction upon his or her child because of the fact that we love our children and we want what is best for them. So we are to be bringing them up in the discipline. And then he says, in an in instruction of the Lord. There's a, the term, the term nuthesia, which means to put or place in the mind. And it refers to, to verbal instruction, to the verbal impartation of truth. But it also includes this idea of of warning or corrective kind of speaking. That when our children stray from the truth, we are there to lovingly confront them and and to warn them. If you continue to go down that path, this is what could happen, my son. This is what could happen, my daughter. So it includes that as well. And notice he says, of the Lord, of the Lord. This is not just giving our children life skills. Teaching them how to be great businessmen or business ladies. Teaching them all of the skills that we can think of. Those things are good and profitable and we should do. But this is instruction of the Lord. Everything that His Word has to tell them about about honoring and living a life of loving Him with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. It is in the realm of the Lord. This is a spiritual nourishing, beloved. A spiritual training. So think about this for a minute. This command in Ephesians 6.4... These terms really describe the proactive, not passive, task of parents who are to be training and educating their children as the primary trainers and educators in the home of our children. We are to be proactive. Why do I say that? Well, think about it. Too many parents passively leave their children alone. Right? Or we become weary or tired or busy. And we just leave them alone as if the child is, was born wise. As if the child was born with knowledge and life skills. As if they naturally will, will head the right direction and we just leave them alone. Right? We take this passive approach knowingly or unknowingly many times. We stop being proactive, moving in a direction where we're investing into them. But I ask you. Say that a man enlisted for, as, to be a soldier in the armed forces. Without training, can that man just automatically, by virtue of the fact that he signed up for the armed forces, can he actually now be engaged in battle yet? Yes or no? No. That man must go through training and education, right? To be prepared and equipped mentally and physically to be able to engage in warfare, if you will. So it is, beloved, with our children. They don't naturally just gain the spiritual nourishing that they need or the training or the education. They need proactive engagement from their parents. And that is why the command is there in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. 
Too many parents have the mentality, uh, I don't want to do anything to ruin my kid. Well, let me tell you, if you want to ruin your kid, don't do anything to them. That's how you ruin them. Don't train them. Don't tell, don't instruct their minds. Don't teach them the word of God. Don't warn them. Don't correct them. Don't physically discipline them in love when they sin against God. You want to ruin them? Fail to do all of those things. The bigger problem, beloved, for many of us is what we are not doing to our kids. We are not instructing them. We are not proactively training them. But many parents are driven by fear that way. Other parents are simply passively maintain their kids and babysit them, especially when they're younger. But notice that we're called to proactive training of our children. Still other parents spend enormous amounts of money, listen to me, especially in our materialistically driven America. Too many parents spend so much time and effort and energy exposing their kids to all kinds of experiences, to the finer things of life, figuratively speaking, to all the toys that society has to offer them. I want, I want, I want, and we give it to them because we think that that's going to make them happy and content, beloved. But the truth is that if you are not spiritually nourishing your kids, it doesn't matter what you give them. They will never be happy or content. Amen? We need to be spiritually nourishing our children. Not just exposing them to the finer things of life. Experiences are beautiful and golden, especially if they're for the purpose of relationship with our kids. But let's remember why we're doing it. So parents, beginning with fathers. Listen, we are the primary educators and trainers of our children. Let me remind us that the world should not be shaping the thinking and activity of our kids, beloved. The world should not be the primary trainers of our children. We should be the loudest voices. Let me remind us that the school system should not be doing it. Whatever method you are using, you should be the loudest voice in your kid's life. Let me remind us that social media or television shouldn't be the primary educators of our children. Let me remind us that is not the church's primary responsibility or primarily the church's responsibility... To train and educate your kids' parents. That goes for me too. It is our responsibility. It is not up to the youth workers or the youth pastor, if we had one, to train your kids. The church comes alongside of, assists, supports, equips parents for the work of educating and training their children as the primary educators of their kids. Think about this. It is our task of discipling our kids first and foremost, beloved. Our tasks, our task, not anybody else's. We are God's agents, God's agents of obedience in the lives of our kids. And boy, do we need his grace for that, don't we? The daily dependence upon him for that. I know you feel that as a parent, and I feel that as a parent as well. We have five kids of our own, all in different stages of life. When I am reminded of the fact that I am an agent in the hands of Almighty God, by the grace of God and the Spirit of God in the lives of my kids, how humbling is that, isn't it? How humbling is that? Now, fourthly, I want us to dig deeper into this matter of obedience because there's something deeper that must be cultivated in children that drives this obedience. Okay, so fourthly, I want you to notice the heart of obedience. The heart of obedience. And I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 6 with me. 
Ephesians 6 and verse 2. And what Paul says there, Children, be, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then he says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. And here comes the promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. I told you that this is a quotation of the, the fifth commandment in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12, which is the first commandment that deals with the horizontal relationships on a human level. And the first commandment is to children that they would honor their parents, their father and their mother. Interestingly so. But not only that, I find it interesting that God says there in Exodus twelve twenty in verse 12, honor your father and mother. He doesn't say obey. This says, honor your father and mother, which is really the, the heart issue, isn't it? That's the heart issue. That's the motivation for obedience. The honor that children are to show to their parents. Where does or should obedience come from? It comes from a heart of honor for one's parents. That's where it flows from. And that's where the battle resides, in the heart. This term honor is the Greek word timao. It has a sense of, of reverence or respect. Of, of, of holding a heartfelt admiration for someone. Of holding them in high esteem in one's thoughts, which drives respectful treatment of them. Here is the heart of obedience for children and for all of us, really. When we think about our obedience before the Lord as well. If obedience focuses on external conduct, then honor is, is the root or the heart attitude that drives that obedience, that drives that behavior. And parents, this is so important for you and I to recognize and to be reminded of. Because many parents are, are content only dealing with a child's external behavior. As if that's, that's all that matters. And essentially, we all fall into the danger of teaching a type of, of moralism. Morals are good if they're connected to Jesus Christ, right? Jesus saves us so that we would be holy. There are moral implications for our salvation. But moralism is different. It is externally driven. It is trying to gain favor before God and others for children before their parents based upon their conduct, devoid of heart. Too many of us fall into that danger. As if all that matters is as long as my children behave themselves, they are okay. And then one day the child leaves the protective oversight of, of his, his or her parents. And he or she turns into a little demon. Why? Because their heart was never for the Lord. They didn't worship God from the heart. And even if they were well behaved externally, the heart wasn't being dealt with. The heart of our children, beloved, is where the battle resides. What is the heart? The heart is essentially the mission control center of a person, right? The mission control center. The seat of our desires and our affections and our motivations. Which become the source of our behavior and of our action. The Lord is more concerned about what's going on in our heart than our external behavior. He loves for us to obey on the outside. He loves for us to, to, to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, but He wants us to do it out of a heart of love and worship to Him. Right? That's what He desires. 
1 Samuel 16, 7 says, For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's what matters to the Lord. He wants us to be cultivating a right heart attitude toward Him. He's always looking at the heart, always looking at our motivations, our affections, our desires. And so it is the same way for the child who is to to be obedient. That must come from the heart. And we as parents must help them cultivate a heart for the Lord and do things from a right motivation. If we are to call them to obey. If God is concerned about the heart, beloved, we should be as parents as well. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence. For from it, from the heart, flow the springs of life. Why is the warning there? Because the the heart is a source of action. So you must protect it and guard it. And carefully and diligently cultivate the soil of that heart. So that good fruit, not rotten fruit, is produced from that soil of your heart. So the heart battle is where it really where the, the, really the, our, our efforts ought to be aimed, beloved parents, both you and for myself. God wants children to value and cherish their parents from the heart. Why? Why are they to do this? Because they, they recognize that God has placed their parents in their lives for a season as the most important relationship. Listen, children, young or older, You need to recognize that ultimately your obedience and your honor to your parents is an act of worship before the Lord or not. Because He is the one that in His providence, in His goodness, and in His love, He's placed you in that family. So for you to attack your parents or to not obey or honor your parents is an attack ultimately on who? On God who put you in His providence in that family. Can I hear an amen? That's the way it is. It is really a Godward focus. By the way, for us as adults, the call to honor our father and mother applies even as adults. We are to honor our parents. Even now. I love the fact that at Calvary Bible Church, more than any other church that I have ever been to, or any church that I've really been ever exposed to, We have more people in this church who now in their latter years of life are actually taking care of their parents and bringing them in to your homes. What a beautiful, beautiful thing that is. I just want to commend those of you who have that as a high priority and those of you who have that on the radar. Because even as adults, we should be honoring our parents and returning the favor, so to speak, uh, and all of the time and effort and energy that they put into us. And that too is an act of worship before the Lord, beloved, even as adults, that we honor our parents. Listen, we have a, a, a famine in this land, don't we? And a society full of young people who don't honor and respect their parents. Think about the typical sitcom that you can turn on the television and watch. How is the family portrayed? That's one of your homework assignments, if you don't know. Turn on the typical sitcom that is really, really popular today and see how the family is portrayed. I'll tell you. Let me summarize it like this. The mom is this cool friend of the kids who talks in a condescending way about the father. She is also kind of aloof, right? The children are all wise. I mean, they know everything because they're social. They're they're, they're media savvy. They understand all things. 
and instruct the mom to go and instruct the idiot who's the father. Right? Who's an ignoramus. He doesn't know anything. He's got no authority whatsoever. The kid eventually, towards the end of the 30-minute sitcom, is going to sit the dad down and tell him how life really is and be the Solomon to the dad. Right? Respect and honor have gone out the window, beloved. This is what is being thrown at our children in society and billboards and television all over the place. And we have to be the loudest voices to expose those kinds of things and show them what God's word says. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, that children must honor their parents from the heart and that that's what drives obedience. Now, what are some ways that children, if this is so important, can honor their parents? Let me give you some. You honor them by valuing their input. Honor your parents by valuing their input. Isn't that what we see in the book of Proverbs? Solomon pleading with his son. So, Proverbs 1.8, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. Read Proverbs 2.1 and 3.1 and 4.1 and 5.1. Cherish and treasure my commandments, my son. I'm trying to point you away from the destructive path. Listen to me. Cherish what I have to say to you. I've lived life, says Solomon. He doesn't write as a perfect man. You guys know Solomon, don't you? Was he a perfect man? He was not. He learned some hard knocks. His own sins and struggles, and yet he pleads with his son. And we need to plead with our our children, beloved, our sons and our daughters. And children, value the input of your parents. Value the input of your parents. Secondly, honor them by obeying them. Just doing what they ask of you. Not just doing things halfway. When you feel like doing them, when it's convenient for you. Or so that they just get off your back. You do things superficially or externally driven. Obedience is doing things, listen to me, completely, completely, immediately, right away. Not whenever you feel like it. And wholeheartedly, internally, from your heart. We used to tell our kids when they were little, you need to do that with a happy heart. With a happy heart. What were we trying to send to them, the message? That they needed to do it with a right heart attitude. Whether they're young, whether they're older, beloved, whether they're listening, whether they're not listening. We need to continue to drill that intimate what it is that obedience actually is. It is wholehearted. It is immediate. It is complete. That's obedience. So obey your parents. Thirdly, honor them by thinking affectionately about them. This is a big one. Kids, especially you who are youth. Oftentimes, I was a kid, and then I was a youth. I remember seething with anger, resentment, and bitterness, and discontentment of the things that I wasn't being given, or the things that my parents were confronting me on. And I didn't think fondly about them. And you know what that drove me to do? Either outbursts of anger, or on the other hand, for me, I was more hatefully indifferent to my parents. And I just avoided them altogether. And I isolated myself away from my family. I realized later on that my behavior and my conduct when around my family members, including my parents, that was sinful. That, that conduct was being driven by the way that I was thinking about them when I was away from them. 
Paul says in Philippians chapter 1 to the Philippians, whenever I think about you, I am driven to prayer and to thanksgiving for you. He is on house arrest. Why is he driven to pray and to thank God for them? Not because they're perfect, because he's writing a a letter to, to confront their disunity. But he writes to them that way and he thanks the Lord for them and prays for them because he's thinking fondly about them. So the principle applies, children. Think fondly and affectionately about your parents or it's going to drive you to say some things and do some things by omission that you're going to regret later on in life. I promise you, because I've had many regrets like that as well. Honor them by speaking positively about them. To others, I mean. Honor them by speaking positively. This is especially true for young men and women, teenagers, if I can use that term. To spend a lot of time slandering and gossiping about your parents. To vent to your all-wise peers about the deficiencies of your parents. We read in in the Old Testament, right? Last week, the penalty for, for speaking ill or cursing one's parents. How serious is that to God? To God, if you speak or slander your parents or curse your mother and father, that is as if you are doing it to Him. You're dishonoring the Lord. Honor them by speaking respectfully to them. Not only how you speak about them, but to them. Especially as children grow up, it is expected that more dialogue and discussion will, will, will and should take place. But take special care, teenagers, that your desire to have conversation is not just to defend your case, to argue, to get what you want, to vent to your parents. Nowhere in Scripture are, you, are, are we as parents or you as children allowed, in the name of transparency, to sin against one another. And one of the ways that you can honor your parents is by the way that you speak to them and the way that you communicate with them. And can I say this? Body language also communicates. Right? Body language communicates. We understand body language, don't we? Growing up even, when we sit in school under professors or teachers, there are teachers who had a class etiquette. You don't sit like that. You don't slouch that way. Or when you go, get, go to a job interview, you don't go however you want to go dress dirty after having mowed the lawn. What do you do? You dress up, right? You sit straight. You prepare yourself for that interview. We understand that body language communicates. Body language is important. And teens and you little ones, one of the best ways that you can honor your parents is through your body language because that communicates as well. Honor them by meeting their needs. Listen, your parents are always concerned about meeting your needs, about making sure that you have everything that you need, that if the resources are there, they're going to meet that need. The danger for you is to get a sense of self-entitlement, that you deserve this, or that you exist in that family simply for all the blessings to come your way. And you never care about anybody else but yourself. What does Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 say? It says, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. That command is given to both adults and kids. That you ought to be looking for proactive opportunities to meet the needs of other family members around you, siblings or your parents. Honor them by expressing appreciation, gratitude. Honor them that way. Listen, parents need affirmation too, beloved Kids, 
Parents do too. Not because our whole lives depend upon it, but because we're human, just like you. You want to be appreciated? You want to be expressed gratitude to? You need to do the same thing. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. In everything. Look for opportunities, even when you disagree with your parents, to give thanks to them, to express gratitude for even the basic things of life that they are providing for you. For hot water. For a warm meal. That I can tell you firsthand, most kids all over the world in the 17 countries that I visited don't get hot water, clean, pure water, and even a meal that is warm on the table. And God provides that for you every single day, three, four, five, six, seven times for some of you teenagers who eat that much. <laughs> right? Forget to express thanksgiving for those things. Pray for them. Honor your parents by praying for them. Listen, they have the blessing the blessing and the privilege of raising you, but the often difficult task also of raising you. What goes around comes around, okay? One day you're going to be a parent too, yourself. And so it would be very beneficial for you to put yourself in their shoes now and to pray for them and bring them before the throne of grace because your your parents feel the weight of, of the fact that they are accountable to God for you and the way that they raise you and the direction that they're pointing you to. Oh, beloved kids, make sure you're praying for your parents. We need it so, so badly. And for all of us as parents, listen to me. Example is the most powerful rhetoric, right? Someone has written that example is the most powerful rhetoric. How do we expect our kids to value our input if we don't treat them as in, with, with the dignity that they deserve as human beings made in the image of God? How do we expect them to obey us if we don't obey the Lord? How do we expect them to honor us in their thinking and in their words and their communication if we don't do that before them about other people and even about them? How do we expect them to honor us by meeting uh, needs if we don't meet their own needs? Example is huge, isn't it? Example is huge. Listen, Children, you want to be different and leave a lasting impression upon others in this wicked generation? Honor and obey your parents. Honor and obey your parents. You won't regret it. I promise you, you won't regret it. If you do it from the heart, and God will bless you for it, if it is from the heart. Honor and obey them. That's so counter-cultural today, isn't it? And for us as parents, let us not forget that attitude is a reflection of the heart, right? We often focus on the, on the action. As long as they do what I say, that's all that matters. But it matters very little to us if they do it with a rotten, complaining, angry kind of heart attitude. We don't really pay a lot of attention to those kinds of things. And we end up raising Pharisees or hypocrites who know how to say and do the right things, but their heart is far from the Lord. Far from the Lord. Jesus condemned the religious leaders of his day. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We need to focus on their hearts. So the wise Christian parent focuses not just on the what that our children do, beloved, but on the why. Why did they do that? Son, daughter, what motivated you to do that? 
Help me understand where you're coming from. What is it that you are after? What did you want from that particular action? What are those desires and affections that are driving our children to do what they do, even from the time that they're little? Asking probing questions. Proverbs 20 and verse 5 says, A plan in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding draws it out. So it is with the Christian parent, beloved. We ask probing questions of their hearts, their desires, and their affections, and their motives to get that stuff out of that well of their heart, so to speak, so that we can make sure that we nip it in the bud before it hits the conduct and the behavior, right? And even then, we miss it, don't we? By the way, this is applicable to all of us, isn't it? Not just for our children. We focus upon our hearts. Our conduct is driven by the motives and desires and affections of our hearts. And even as parents, we're reminded every single day that you and I may be thinking that we're working on the hearts of our kids, but ultimately we realize God is after me and my heart. He's teaching me and exposing to me my own idols that cause me to get angry and frustrated or avoid my kids. God is after me. God is after my heart. God is after my wholehearted devotion and honor and worship and obedience. God wants our wholehearted worship, beloved, no matter who we are this morning. The more we understand and are confronted with the depth of corruption and the human heart, then the more we will apply God's word, right? Jeremiah 79, the heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Ecclesiastes 9, verse 3, why Solomon says, The hearts of the sons of men are full of evil, and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty one, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts and immorality and thefts and murders and adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit and sensuality, envy, slander, pride and foolishness. All these things, says the Lord Jesus, proceed from within and defile the man. You know what these texts tell me? I am not a good person. You are not a good person. Human beings are not good people. We are estranged from the womb. We are by nature children of wrath. And we prove it by the way that we live our lives. And these texts also tell me my children are not good. So the answer is not to encourage our children to to come in contact with the inner beauty that lies within. Right? Oh, no, 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 no. Children are not morally neutral creatures, beloved, whose environment corrupts them. The environment may exacerbate the problem, but it is not the root problem. So we can't parent out of fear or try to control all of the circumstances and the context for our kids without dealing with the heart first and foremost. The root problem is the heart of our kids. That is where all corruption ultimately comes from. Ever wonder why in the the history of the Roman Catholic Church, so many monks and priests who were away, secluded, and and kept all wickedness and worldliness away from themselves, went in and it was found out that they were living corrupt lives in secret? Why is that? They control the environment. They put themselves in in the purest of contexts. You know what the problem was? They forgot the biggest bomb of them all, the atomic bomb of the heart. That the sin was right there in their hearts. 
And it didn't matter how much they control the outside without dealing with the heart. If we understand the depravity of the human heart, beloved, then we cannot settle for just well-behaved children, right? Or externally morally moral children. Do we want our kids to be well-behaved? Yes. Do we want our kids to be under control? Yes. This is good and profitable and essential. Essential. But that is the immediate goal, beloved. The immediate goal. The long-term goal is that they would come to know and love and serve Jesus from the heart. To be devoted followers of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we understand that unless they are transformed from the heart, born again and have the Spirit of God living within them, they will not offer a God-glorifying, sustainable obedience from the heart that honors the Lord. Their greatest need is to be changed from the inside out. If we know this, then our conviction will be that what our children need is heart transformation. And this, beloved, listen to me. If you hear anything that I say this morning, this conviction that their hearts may be transformed will lead and should lead to gospel-saturated parenting. Gospel-saturated parenting. Bringing the truth to bear upon our children informally and formally. We ought to be the biggest evangelists as parents in the home first and foremost. With our kids, young and older, the biggest evangelists, fervent evangelists who are bringing the gospel formally and informally. So when your little one comes up to you and they're fighting, he's fighting or she's fighting with her sibling about who had the toy first, right? What do we do? Hey, let me ask both of you. Who had it first? Okay, you did. Okay, give it back. No. You know what we do instead? We say, hey, who wants to share first? Who wants to share first? You know why we should share? Because Jesus said in his word that we should put others' interests before our own. Jesus came to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is the ultimate servant who came to die for sinners like you and I. He laid down his life. He sacrificed for our needs. He came to fulfill his father's will. So what does that mean for you and I, little one? You should not be concerned about being possessive. You should seek to serve. Because that's what we learn from Christ. And use that as an opportunity to share the gospel, right? When fighting or bickering about something or the other, Philippians chapter 2, regard one another as more important than yourself. Talk about the humility of Christ, who was the ultimate peacemaker. Listen, girls, you are not to be duking it out with each other. Let's talk about this. We need to be peacemakers. But don't just leave it there because then they become moralists, right? Detached from the gospel. Talk about Christ, the ultimate example of humility, who was the ultimate peacemaker between God and men, the one mediator between God and men. And thus, we have to be imitating him. Gospel-saturated parenting. What about the teen who's having trouble loving the world? Is being attacked by the world, the flesh, and the devil? Have those conversations. Don't just tell them, knock it off. Stop it. But what is it that is driving that in you? What are those desires and affections that are driving that? God has called you to love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What are those idols that you're putting above God? 
And listen, son, listen, daughter, I was there too. And God loved me enough to expose me for the sinner that I was. The sinner that I am. And talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Show them the beauty of, the, of Christ and who he is in his infinite glory, beloved. We need to talk about God and show our kids the Lord, that he's holy, that he is creator, that they, they are not autonomous, that they don't rule their own lives, that they are accountable to God who is perfect and pure, and he has a standard of perfection. And as just judge, he cannot overlook sin or sweep sin under the rug. He must punish sin. We must bring them before God, their creator. And then talk about man. Share with them with utmost love and compassion and grace, remembering where you and I were before. Show them the fact that all men are sinners by nature and accountable to God for their sin. Show them and tell them that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Show them that every sin will be punished, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. Every man will receive the just consequences from a holy God for their sin. And so they should be brought to their desperate condition. They are helpless and hopeless. But please don't forget. Tell them about the precious Jesus. Tell them the good news. Tell them about Christ. Show them Christ. Show them that because of God's great love... He gave his only begotten son to solve the problem of their sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Tell them about the love of God. Show them. That Jesus is the God-man in the flesh who humbled himself by coming to earth. That he lived the perfect sinless life that you and I could never live. That he loved his father and obeyed him perfectly like you and I can't. That because he is the God-man and because of the fact that he lived a sinless life, he is the only one who qualified as a substitute for sinners. He died in our place. He suffered. He was ridiculed and beaten and crucified. And what is worse, he experienced at the cross separation from his father for the first time because of our sin. Because at the cross, his father poured his, the fullness of his wrath upon his own son for your sins and for my sins. Tell them, beloved. Share with them that Jesus experienced separation because of our sin. Tell them that Jesus bore our sins on the cross. That we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness because by his wounds we are healed. Tell them about that. But don't forget to share with them, right? That Jesus rose from the dead. That the Father raised Jesus from the dead. He conquered sin and death. He conquered and was victorious over that which, which haunts us. Death in the temporal and death eternally. Jesus rose from the dead. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father and intercedes for those continually and eternally for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Tell them about that.
But don't leave it there, right? Share with them that because of God's love in Christ, they can be forgiven and reconciled to God. Tell them that they must repent, that they must turn from their sin, abandon their lives of self-idolatry and self-worship and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Share with them that whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Acts 16.31 John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. They must trust in Jesus. Share with them that Christ is the only way to be reconciled to God. He's the only way, the truth, and the life. He's the door of the sheep. He's the fountain of living waters. He's the bread of life that satisfies. He's the only one who can rescue them from their terrible predicament. Tell them that. There's one mediator between God and men. The man who? Christ Jesus. He's the only one who can make the, 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 the sinful human being a friend of God and a child of God by faith. The only one. And then in love and compassion, share with them and warn them that they cannot save themselves. That good works, that church attendance, that their parents' faith is not transferable to them, None of those things will save them. That salvation is by grace. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. Beautiful definition by someone. God's riches at Christ's expense for sinners who deserve hell and judgment. Salvation is exclusively offered only in Jesus Christ that we can be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not in our own righteousness, not in our own. We must share that with them, beloved. And we must warn them. Listen to me. We must warn them that if they don't repent and trust in Jesus, they remain, they remain God's enemies. Warn them that they will have a hard life in the present and even worse in eternity. That judgment awaits them. That there's a place called hell. A place called hell where those who have rejected Jesus Christ will spend eternity. And that is a place of excruciating and eternal torture that is described as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Warn them of that. A real place called hell where they will be forever as a reminder of the seriousness of rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ and the consequences that sin brings. See, we bring on temporal consequence, temporary consequences to our kids, don't we? Hell is forever. Forever. Excruciating pain and separation from God. We must warn them of hell. Remind them that God does not want anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Plead with them to be reconciled to God. Plead with them, beloved, daily to escape God's coming wrath. 
Plead with them that while sin brings temporary pleasure, Christ brings eternal pleasure and eternal satisfaction, does he not? Plead with them that Christ is better. Plead with them that Christ is more precious and more satisfying than anything that they could ever find on this earth. Plead with them to be reconciled to God by faith in Jesus Christ. Plead with them, beloved. Tell them that Christ is sweeter and fairer and more valuable and that he is a rewarder of those who love him. He's a rewarder in this life and in the life to come. But isn't this kind of harsh, Pastor? I mean, some of those aspects are kind of harsh. Listen, the most loving thing that we can do is with compassion, bring the truth to bear upon them, right? Thomas Watson wrote this, quote, Suppose a man were in the mouth of a lion, and another should shoot the lion and save the man. Would he not be thankful? So when we are in the mouth of sin, as of a lion, and the minister by reproof shoots this sin to death, shall we not be thankful? We do not want sin covered, but cured. In the same way that, what we, that, what, that we don't want a disease covered, but remedied. End quote. Listen, all of this, beloved, should drive us to our knees, right? And the weightiness of the fact that that little baby from years ago or recently that you brought home, that little being is an eternal being who will live forever. The question is, will he or she spend eternity in heaven with God or in hell away from him? Living in the light of that reality motivates us to train our children, right? And to be dependent upon God's throne of grace. I'll end with this. I recently read the testimony of Augustine of Hippo in northern Africa. He died in 430 AD. And some of you know his testimony one of the greatest thinkers and theologians in the history of the church. And after living a wretched life, he was converted and saved at the age of 33 years old. And he wrote a, a, a piece of work called Confessions. You ought to read it sometime where he speaks in detail of his wickedness, of his deception, his immorality. But then God saved him. And would you believe it? One of the things that he writes about often about his conversion is, is about his mother, Monica. And her prayers for him. Writing about Augustine, one historian says this, and even about Monica, quote, Though the wife of a non-Christian, Monica prayed that her family might eventually all come to Christ. She attempted to bring her children up in the ways of the Lord, and it pained her to see them stray from the truth she had taught them. Her most promising son, Augustine, was given an excellent education, And Monica hoped this might be a means of his more fully reaching God. Augustine ignored his mother's warnings against youthful lusts and pursued a life of self-gratification and immorality while continuing his classical education. He lived with a woman not his wife and fathered a child. Monica didn't have the words to convince her son of the truth of Christianity, but she determined never to stop praying that he would turn to God. When Augustine went to Italy to teach, Monica, by then a widow, followed him there. In Milan, she attended the church pastored by Ambrose and rejoiced when Augustine was befriended by Ambrose and eventually became a Christian. Monica died in 387 at the age of 56. But in his confessions, Augustine spoke of his grief, of his grief and weeping for the mother, quote, now gone from my sight 
who for years had wept over me, that I might live in your sight. End quote. She died a happy woman, for she had seen her prayers answered, and both her husband and her son had become believers. Augustine was only 33 at the time of his mother's death, and many years of service to Christ and his church lay before him. But in later years, Augustine could look back on his life and recognize the importance of his mother's perseverance in prayer to his own salvation and ministry. However, neither Augustine nor Monica could have foreseen that Augustine's own ministry would continue over the centuries and even influence such men such as Luther and Calvin in reforming and purifying and strengthening the church. End quote. What a great testimony of God's grace, huh? See, we need to keep the big picture in mind as parents, right? And we need the grace of God to do that. Let's keep bringing the gospel to bear upon our kids, beloved parents. And let's keep seeking the Lord at the throne of grace for their souls. Amen? Let me close this in prayer. Father, oh Lord, serious words for us, for all of us as a church. And Lord, we pray and we ask that you may give us the grace by your spirit and by your word to be faithful Christian parents. Help us to lead by example that our children would see worship and excitement and joy in us so that, Lord, they may want to treasure and cherish Christ in the same way and live for him. Lord, help us not to walk away from this message without prayerfully thinking and considering and challenging ourselves from your word as to changes that need to happen in our lives, Lord, that we may obey your word. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.